Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm really excited today to have with me Kaylee Micknick, who is a registered dietitian, but she also has a master's in natural resource management, and she's currently in her PhD. So welcome, Kaylee. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So just to start us off, Kaylee, uh, if you don't mind, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and who you are and and what you do and maybe a bit about your journey of of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I guess, like you said in my introduction, uh, I work as a registered dietitian. Most of that work has been in Saskatchewan. Uh, I did my undergraduate at the University of Saskatchewan uh, and then ended up pursuing my master's in natural resource management in Manitoba at the University of Manitoba, where a lot of the work focused around Indigenous uh, food systems and Indigenous food sovereignty. And now currently I am doing a PhD in community and population health sciences at the back at the University of Saskatchewan. So really uh, my work in education has taken me a lot of places and mostly is focused around promotion of sustainable food systems, health equity, and improving population health. So I've done some work studying urban agriculture in Cuba and in uh, South and Central America. I've done some permaculture design uh, in Northern Manitoba. I've done a few, I guess, canoe trips, uh, mapping um, and videoing uh, traditional land use with First Nations communities. I've done media courses with Indigenous youth helping to create uh, oral documentation of traditional knowledge. Um, And then, you know, my more traditional role as a dietitian, I've done a lot of nutrition and food consulting and program development for families, parents, newcomer groups, schools. I've worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations, some corporations, and as well with municipal and provincial governments. Very cool. Um, where are you from, Kaylee? Like, where where is or you know where did you grow up, or was it a bit of everywhere? Yeah, not really. No, <laughs> I spent most of. I grew up in Saskatoon. Okay, and I was cool. there until I finished my my undergraduate degree. Um, nice. And I ended up back here because of family and romance. <laughs> but I never <laughs> thought once I leave. When I left uh, to go to Manitoba, I, I wasn't sure that I would come back, but uh, lots of family ties here, and that's important. <laughs> For sure. Similarly, we, we were chatting about this a bit before, but I remember when I moved back from BC, like I lived in BC for my undergrad and and uh, and an extra year, and then when I was moving back, um, people were like, but why? Like, you're always hiking out there and camping. And at the time, my, my older brother was... Um, was expected they were expecting their first child and it you know it just wanted to be a little closer to home and so yeah family ties are very important for sure mm-hmm. so uh Kaylee can you chat a bit about 
so you use the term sustainability um, in the context of, of food and, and sustainable food systems, um, as you were sharing a bit about yourself, but um, we're kind of using the podcast a bit of, in some ways, kind of to have this like running dish definition of the term sustainability, because it's such a, it's such a, it, it's overused. Um, and it's, it's kind of become this term that not, we're not even really sure what the definition of it is sometimes. So um, I'm curious about what sustainability means to, to you and, and how you integrate that into your work. And yeah, totally um, about the definition. I think that the term sustainability has shifted for me over time. And I think it's depended where I've worked um, and, you know, and what, and in what discipline I'm studying under, because there are so many definitions, whether you're working in social services or health sciences or natural sciences. Uh, but my understanding and how I, I view it is that sustainability is really just looking at issues holistically. Um, I think it's always about when you're looking, when I, in relation to societal or issues, whether it's social or environmental, um, I think it's that we need just recognizing interrelationships between humans uh, and the non-human world. For me, um, working in healthcare, I started out just working in public health and I was a little bit disappointed in sort of some of the framing and lens of human health as well as environmental health within the health system that I think that should be a constant conversation that if we're focusing on the well-being of communities and populations that we need to equally focus on the well-being of ecosystems um, and environmental health and so I think there's a huge disconnect and I think a lot of that (laughs) at least for my academic lens is very disciplinary that we focus on education and training of professionals and silos. And then of course there's some like higher level education, like master's programs where they are really interdisciplinary, which is where I ended up in my master's was a very interdisciplinary program, but there was still sort of this like not understanding why I was there as a dietitian and someone with a healthcare background, even like my colleagues in public health uh, didn't quite understand it when I told them, yeah, like I'm leaving to go to this master's and natural resource management. There was a lot of confusion. And then when I was in the program, be it very like interdisciplinary, there was still not a lot of like, I would say health background um, students um and so some of the press are like well why are you here like can we like let's talk about it a bit more and so I think there's a lot of bridging that still needs to happen um but I in the from both lines when you're in there's some really hardcore what I learned in my program like natural sciences who don't really consider the social elements and then the other end we have people who are working on social well-being that aren't considering environmental outputs either So I guess some of my work has always been trying to bridge those two um, because they're one in the same. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Actually, on a very, very recent uh, podcast interview that I did, um, we chatted a lot about this, uh, this idea that, you know, how can we have healthy people and a healthy society uh, without 
a healthy environment or healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy the way we survive. Um, so I think that's super important, but I can confirm for you for sure, having been someone who went through a, uh, you know, I have a bachelor of science in earth and environmental science. And I, within my first year, I was, I don't get me wrong. I loved the science side and I, I was learning so much and loved field schools and all of that kind of thing. But I ended up taking the bare minimum that I had to of uh, any sort of hard sciences, like any uh, biology, geology, uh, hydrology, I kind of took the bare minimum and filled all of my extra time um, with electives in anthropology and indigenous studies and sociology. Because for me, that was, I didn't realize that in high school, but that was really what I was looking for is that these things are all connected. Um, and I didn't want to just come out of it uh, looking at water and testing soils and understanding plants and animals I wanted to come out of it and understand this this much larger ecosystem that includes these broader global challenges so yeah mm -hmm. yeah totally and I think humans have a hard time understanding themselves as part of nature like there's so much emphasis on separation of humans from the non-human worlds and I think a lot of that goes back to, I mean, if you can separate something and disidentify yourself, it's a lot easier to I'll say, I guess, exploit um, and like use sort of some environmental for economic gains um, or to, you know, maybe treat the, the non-human world with less respect if you don't consider yourself part of it. Like, I think there's some sort of economic rationale um, that separates some of those ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, even, yeah, considering humans as part and how our impacts and as the whole cycle, I guess, but mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, 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 I feel like, and maybe I'm, a, I'm a bit of an optimist, but I feel like these, you know, these conversations are getting there, like we're getting there. Um, and if, you know, 2020 was anything, it was, it was a, a you know, a big wake up call and, and realization, I think for a lot of folks who, who weren't spending much time thinking about the social justice challenges and issues that are so prevalent in our society. And, 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 you know, that that's on all of us to, to understand and then act. And so I, I think the conversations are happening more regularly. And, and I think whether it's social, social justice kind of holistically and, and sustainability holistically, I think we'll, we'll, get there <laughs> but it's definitely slower than I think folks like you and I would like to see things moving so yeah yeah change change happens incrementally and then sometimes it happens quite radically and I think uh, COVID did bring about quite a bit of radical change whether some of it good some of it bad um, and now I think a lot of people are waiting to see what will be sustained or what will continue to change and I mean I know I'm not that keenly aware of like environmental policy that maybe changed or did not happen during COVID, but uh, there definitely was a lot of more social policy and social considerations um, and a lot more talks around basic income and social safety mm -hmm. nets, which are just as equally important moving towards sustainability, uh, particularly, you know, around sustainable food systems. Um, I think getting people out of poverty and making sure people can afford nutritious foods and people can live with dignity, I think um, is a huge step towards a more sustainable society. Yeah, 
Absolutely. That was very well put, very well articulated. Um, so Kaylee, one of the questions we always ask folks on the podcast is um, if, if, if you're able to pinpoint, and sometimes it's not that easy, but where does your sustainability story begin? And I guess, you know, more so, um, you know, how did you get interested in this and, and passionate about it? I can, you know, hear it in your voice and in all that you're sharing, it's obviously something you're really passionate about. Um, but I'm curious, like, you know, when did that start or how did it start? Um, yeah, just a bit about, about that. Yeah, I think that's a really cool question and a very reflective one. Um, I think actually a lot of it for me, um, started probably when I was a teenager. Um, like, I mean, like I, my parents and family aren't like these huge, like environmental advocates. Of course they enjoy the outdoors, um, and spend time there. And, <laughs> but I started working in greenhouses when I was in high school and got really obsessed with plants. And from there, I ended up working with uh, the Miwasan uh, Valley Authority in Saskatoon. For people, I guess, who are familiar, it's a conservation uh, agency um, set up for the protection and conservation of the South Saskatchewan River system and the River Valley. Um, and I actually worked there as a summer student, I think for four or five summers while I was doing my nutrition degree. And so I think to me, that's when I began, like began to make a lot of connections between food and the environment. Um, but definitely my work with the Miwasan, it actually had a huge impact on me and I'll have to help my boss knows that. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Like, you know, we, we, a lot of it was conservation, like a lot of it was in horticulture. So a lot of it was a native plant uh, in our, our native plant nursery and, um, increasing populations of native plants in the river Valley, removing, uh, invasive species. We did a lot of like natural burns, um, a lot of the stuff around erosion. Um, and I, like, I just, I, that was a whole new area. So in the greenhouses, I was really looking at native plants. Then all of a sudden this whole world of the native, uh, grassland plants was open to me and where their, their niches are. And I learned a lot more about the prairie uh, ecosystems and the lack of native grasslands left. And then started doing a lot of work looking at, well, what's going on with agriculture and how the landscape has changed over the last 150 years. Um, so, I mean, I think that a lot of that, and what of it, a lot of that of course was, you know, that practical being outside uh, a lot of time observing nature, observing things growing, observing how things are interacting, watching, you know, sort of the seasonal changes. Uh, it really taught me a lot and really opened my eyes um, <laughs> to how actually beautiful Saskatchewan can be, especially like Southern Saskatchewan area and in and around Saskatoon, because I think a lot of it was like, I want to see the mountains before that <laughs> and not a lot of appreciation because you have to kind of know where to look a little bit because you know, we, there has been such a mass removal because of agriculture, mm -hmm. um, really identifying the beauty and of the, the native grasslands as well. And the, the animals and birds that have been affected as well by its removal. Um, so from there, I, I mean, yeah, that hugely got me interested. 
And so much so that I was like, well, I need to learn more about this and I want to be able to talk about it a lot more and learn about a lot more. And so I think that's kind of how I, why I went that way with my master's degree. Um, kind of hoping that maybe I could get a job in that area afterwards. But then I realized I don't really have, as we were also saying about sustainability, it can be a hard like niche area, like because it inherently is interdisciplinary because these large problems require multi-pronged solutions. Um, so, I mean, just because you have your master's natural resource doesn't mean you're this expert <laughs> by any means. Um, so I just continue to build, build on that knowledge and experience and you kind of bring that lens wherever you go. And I won't say like, I've ever had a job that's like you are, I mean, I guess I was a horticulture assistant or conservation laborer for many years, but I've never held an environmental title since. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's amazing that you, you know, you work as a dietitian, but you still bring in all these different lenses and angles and into your work, like whether it's in your directly in your work, but in, you know, the things that you do outside of your day to day job, because I think for a lot of folks, um, you know, they, they, they might wonder, and, and this is one of the reasons why this podcast exists, but folks feel, well, okay, if I'm not doing you know, X job, there's no way I can really participate in, in sustainability or the environmental movement. Um, And that's just totally not true. Um, You know, hairdressers can in, you know, how they dispose of products or how they use products or how they recycle things. There's something for, for all of us to kind of focus on. And I think in order to see these big, long lasting changes, it kind of needs to permeate all facets of our world and of our life, not just, you know, not just the, the conservation Mm -hmm. folks or the, uh, you know, folks holding jobs in, in that particular field. So, so anyways, it's amazing. And thank you for sharing that story of how, you know, how all of those things have come together. Yeah. And I'm just going on what you're saying about how everyone can participate I totally agree. And I also like how I view sustainability is I, I think of it largely as um, pin under like values um, underpinning sustainability that, I mean, there's so many various actions, but it's always like the intention and it's always about relationships. So like, I think inherently if people have, you know, respect for the natural world as well as for other human beings and have a sense of reciprocity as well as a desire to to learn um, and build on those relationships. I think that these attitudes that and values we gain will shape our behaviors and we'll be able to sort of inflect that in whatever work we're doing. And I always think that sustainability has to be more than about the intellect that we can only educate and tell people so much, right? And even people working in sustainability, like some of it can be very scientific and very, very intellectual, but I think we also always need to embody it from an emotional um, side as well, because I think that's what creates sustained change. Um, Like I'm not saying education is good. Like I think there is a lot of room yeah, there's tons of rooms for increasing awareness and education, but we also need to work on helping people 
change, you know, inspire, inspire their passions, inspire their hearts, inspire their, their values around it and attitudes. Um, and I think that is through stuff like what you're doing here, like sharing stories. I think a lot of it's also very practical, like getting people working with nature, learning about nature, spending time outside and developing relationships. And I always say like, for example, like just learning the names of plants and animals in your native ecosystems goes a long way because you start that relationship and aware, like you, a relationship begins with just meeting someone, a sense of awareness and knowledge. And then from there you develop a relationship. And then when you have a relationship and appreciate something, that's when you value it. And that's when you want to protect it and keep it around. <laughs> and it's funny that we've gone, like we've gone that far away but it is about, I think, reestablishing and reigniting some relationships people have with the natural world that I don't know, I guess have been sort of like, I don't know, I guess destroyed by capitalism. Like I'm not percent <laughs> yes. sure. I guess you could trace a lot of historical development to sort of see like how we've shifted in our in urbanization and globalization. But I <laughs> I think it's super interesting. And I think there's a lot of people doing great work in, in these areas too. Like, it's not like we've totally lost our relationship either, but (laughs) there's just, and I think schools are also a really important place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was that whole thought that you just gave um, was wonderful. And the way you articulated that was amazing. Something I think about with sustainability is, and you said many of these terms is like curiosity connection and reciprocity so how those things interact like within us as human beings um you know you don't necessarily need to even have more than a grade five education for those things to start to connect in our in our minds and so um you know, starting starting from that place, and and you, you, you mentioned as you were speaking something I was thinking about too was you know, if that's where we come at it from, um, rather than, you know, telling or telling or preaching or, you know, trying to get a movement started that way. Uh, you know, I think about people in my own life, like ha- having grown up um, in agriculture and, and rurally in rural Saskatchewan, how many folks in my in my community and in my family who really, really do value sustainability and are really passionate about the, the world around them and are so connected to it, they just don't articulate it in that way. Like that's not what they call it. Um, but they're so connected to, you know, they know exactly when different bird species are moving through and, and how long they stay for and why that is. And they know all of these things that, you know, they don't have anything more than a grade 10 education. They just have 50 years of watching the birds do that so they know and they're connected and they that's they're super passionate about it but they don't articulate it as you know um them being part of this sustainability or or environmental movement so i think it's it's also kind of you know understanding that not everyone is going to necessarily and nor do they need to have the language of how to articulate this um sometimes it's just like you say the values or the, the way that they they live and who they are so yeah yeah totally it's just um it begins with an orientation um and how you view the the natural world and i think i've definitely learned a lot from first nations communities um and some of their their histories traditions um and ways of living and livelihoods um that have actually opened my eyes a lot 
Um, and I, so I, there's definitely a lot of room for, I guess we'll call it, I mean, there's a lot of uh, tension around this topic even, but around reconciliation and of course, relationship building between non-Indigenous Canadians and Indigenous Canadians. And a lot of that work will of reconciliation and that relationship building can also produce, you know, a more sustainable society if done in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Um, and it's the, the concept of sustainability is inherently Indigenous. That's that's the way, you know what I mean? That's, we're kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's not something we have to teach Indigenous folks, that's for sure. Um, we have a lot more to learn from them than the other way around, most definitely, uh, for sure. So this topic, Kaylee, I feel like for so many of us can be, you know, really overwhelming and uh, exhausting sometimes. And so I'm curious where you get your inspiration from. So, you know, this could be books or teaching or people or projects that you work on or anything else. Like where, where do you kind of keep your, your motivation coming from or your inspiration from? Yeah, I like also a really great question. Um, I, from t- I mean, hearing other people's stories, I think is always provide some inspiration, um, seeing struggles around the world and triumphs. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, really good things happening. But turning on the news can also <laughs> lead to learning about bad, a lot of bad things. So it's not always that inspiring, I guess. But I think ultimately being spending time outside can be the most reinvigorating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I get a lot of inspiration from spending time, particularly near near moving water. I find the winter is very difficult. Um, I count with everything frozen. Um, I love water and the smell of it and being in it and it, it's movement. So I think, um, spending time in lakes and oceans and rivers, I find really invigorating, inspiring. And I think like, and, uh, and that's just a good reminder. Like I, especially this year of COVID have spent a lot of time indoors. I mean, walking around my, and in my, just in my neighborhood. <laughs> like, um, so I mean, there's obviously a lot of urban nature too, but um, I find that going outside and where it's quiet in the forest or by a lake, it just really reminds you of what, why you're doing what you're doing and for what purpose. And because there's so much beauty and in the natural world, as well as, the social systems that are interrelated with it and the in different cultures that I can't imagine a world without all this intricacy, intricacy um, and biodiversity. Like, it's just like, what's worth living for almost, you know, like it just makes when you think about why you love living a lot of it for me, like, I mean, it's family and relationships, but a lot of that still is surrounded by our natural world. And I mean, we can't, I mean, our medicine and our, like, we also just can't like physically live, like we're, so we're getting our medicine and our food and people and economically people's livelihoods. So I, I think it's just always a good reminder um, 
to keep going. And, but I guess I try to look at it. Like, I always think that things that inspire you and motivate you, um, like need to be positive. Like I think this whole thing around climate change and, and sustainability can turn pretty like negative and people can get pretty, can get pretty tense. And a lot of the news is never very good, right? Like when you read headlines about loss of insect populations or declining bird species. So, I, and I think we need to know that reality. Like we can't ignore it because I mean, there's going to be no, future and without knowing what's going on in the present. But I think that most people are sustained through beauty and and something positive. So I think we have to keep those things intact and keep working on building them. Um, Yeah. Making people feel guilty or ashamed never gets very far. No, for sure. So I guess sometimes I, so I guess that's, I guess that's why when, you know, when I get reminded of the beauty Uh, I just, that's where the energy comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's, I find it's the best reminder of why, like why I'm putting my energy into the things I'm putting my energy into, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, And then, you know, you spend some time outdoors and sometimes it's like you say, it is just a walk around your neighborhood um, or sitting in your favorite park by your favorite tree or something. Um, But it kind of reminds you why, why are we doing what we're doing and why does it matter? So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think kind of re readjusting the story a little bit sometime into like, you know, what are we trying to protect as, as opposed to like, what are we trying to stop or end through this process um, helps to sort of reframe it in a different light. Cause I think, you know, I know very, very few people like the idea of, of losing waterways or losing, fish species or losing bird species like that doesn't sound positive to anybody and so if you if you're sort of framing it from that like what do we have to lose um there's you know more for people to connect with so um yeah thanks for thinking (laughs) yes exactly yes for sure so um, that's a a good summary (laughs) yeah no you that you said it beautifully so thank you for sharing um So one last question for you, Kaylee, Uh, how do you incorporate sustainability into your everyday life? Um, So, you know, what are some things that you do in your day-to-day life um, when it comes to, you know, trying to be a bit more sustainable or environmentally conscious? Well, I'd say that, I mean, this is pretty lame, but my, um, (laughs) my free time is my PhD. (laughs) Where I am trying to, and I mean, because it's exciting, because I find that um, working in research and working on projects within that area, you can take a intersection, uh, an intersectionality approach a lot more easier in other, in other areas of work. So I put a lot of energy, I think, into learning to be a proficient and effective researcher who can address social environmental issues in an effective way. And a lot of my research is community-based and participatory. Um, So, I mean, I, so yeah, I do spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to work on these issues and particularly 
uh, I've been working on uh, sustainable food systems within schools and education, uh, nutrition and food systems, education with elementary students. Um, so part of my research is looking at, I'm involved in a two-year pilot project looking at uh, a universal school lunch program uh, for children in some Saskatoon schools. And it's part of it is looking at sustainable menus as well as sustainable nutrition and food curriculum that they're teaching students. And it's involving gardening curriculum and cooking curriculum, multicultural menu. Um, so there's a lot, and it's also universal um, so that every child can participate no matter their income situation because a lot of school food programs can be set for lower income students. So it becomes very stigmatizing and not everyone benefits. So lately, at least this year, I mean, what I've been doing is, is focusing on uh, what I can do through that project. Um, and that is my day-to-day -day, actually <laughs> has been kind of, but I mean, other things I, I really enjoy gardening um, I think that back to the, like, you have to, that experiential getting your hands and working with the earth, um, is so important and sort of brings down from what you talk about and learn and puts it into practice and sort of is a whole embodied experience, which is important. Um, and I actually think a lot of, um, I practice quite a bit of yoga and I also consider that part of my sustainability because I think that sustainability, how we've set up society today is not always the easier convenient choice. Right. And I do find that through yoga and meditation, that's my way to kind of recenter and reconnect and to slow myself down and to help my mind slow down. So I know what is important um, because we can get really caught up. So, and I think it is a way. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of having a hard time explaining why, but I just feel that, um, I think, yeah, maybe just, it's just about that, that, that mindfulness piece, I think that we need as humans that are trying to continue and strengthen their relationship with the natural world. We need a sense of observation and peace and mindfulness to really understand how we fit in um, with the natural world and how we can move forward in a good way. And that's messy uh, considering our economic and social structures we've created. So it takes a lot of concentrated thought and focus. Mm -hmm. That's that amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel similarly. I, I practice a lot of yoga. I, I did a lot more um years ago and did my yoga teacher training and stuff. And I felt there was a huge connection between, um, that practice for me personally, um, and then my work, uh, and, and why I cared about what I cared about. And just, as you said, sort of recentering yourself and reconnecting, um, so that you, you know, what matters and, and, and where to place your, your energy when, when you're not practicing and you're just living your life. So, um, no, I, I, I very much feel that. Um, and that's very cool. And I'm really glad you, you shared that as a part of something that, that you do. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So, well, 
Thank you, Kaylee. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for many, many hours about all of these subjects. So um, I appreciate so much uh, you taking the time to be here today. And um, maybe there'll be an opportunity in the future where we can have you back on and chat more about your PhD stuff or something else that you, you have on the go. So we'll, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to, I've just kind of started um, my research. So I mean, catch up with me anytime now between the next four years and I'll have incrementally more to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Kaylee. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.